Welcome to the Force Matters podcast, powered by Motusi. I'm J.D. Romick. And I'm Jonathan Ang. We're here to have disruptive, inclusive, and informative dialogue at the intersection of technology, research, and clinical practice. Our promise to sort through the BS so you don't have to. Our focus is what matters to your musculoskeletal health. What's up, everybody? Today we have Jason Menalili on our podcast today from Mankind Physical Therapy from down in the Southern California region. I like um, this guy so much. Yeah. He was, he was so great. I want to give him a big hug. Me too. But his expertise is in many professional realms. He's works with NFL players, Major League Baseball, Bellator, martial arts, dance, ballet, volleyball, skateboarding, rowing, and surfing. But you'll get a good taste. He's learning a lot about the overhead athlete, you know, continually and sees a lot of baseball players. But um, we get a look under the hood with Jason, and it's really, really fun and really insightful. But this is only part one. Yeah, it's part one. I mean, we get to talk a little bit about how his practice developed. We get to talk uh, a little bit about also kind of, you know, his background and where he's from. And and we get a little insight into, um, you know, what he thinks is his superpower as a, as a PT and what's uh, helped him be so successful. So uh, it's a good listen. Okay. Well, enjoy <laughs> it. Part one with Jason Manalili. Perfect. Well, this is awesome. I have your whole bio right here, mm-hmm. but I thought it'd be really nice for you to give kind of the high points of what you'd like us to know about yourself in this interview, and we'll go from there. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, so um, obviously, Jason Manalili, uh, born and raised uh, in the Filipino culture, so I like always taking things back to that just because I feel like it's a big part of you know, how I grew up and where I grew up and, you know, uh, as far as family uh, raising me in a certain situation or, uh, you know, a certain background, uh, it's always fun to, to, to bring that up because it was a very traditional home. Uh, you know, obviously couldn't have a girlfriend until I was 16 and, you know, had to get straight A's and, you know, everything was designed towards, uh, you know, heading into the field of engineering or the medical field. So uh, a little background in, in that. And obviously this is where I ended up. Uh, the the more I realize it, the more I realize that I easily could have been persuaded into like nursing and you know in, in that field as well. But um, I always just had a passion to to help out, and my mom was actually my physical therapist and my chiropractor, my massage therapist growing up. So she just took care of everything with any you know in any way she knew how. And whenever we'd go to uh, my family doctor it was our pediatrician a lot of the things that my mom said would overlap with you know what they would recommend and i started to realize that a lot of these recommendations are things that we can be you know i can see myself doing that in the future as far as uh, you know what if you're having trouble with back pain it's not just uh, you know it's not just something around the muscle that that you need to take a look at or you know let's take a look at this and my pediatrician was very good at sending me to multiple providers to make sure that we're clearing everything out. And then uh, I took into uh, consideration multiple fields, you know, physician's assistants, orthopedic surgery, chiropractor, physical therapy, uh, strength and conditioning. And uh, it was just in that general realm. Um, but a lot of it started out. So 
started thinking about that more like the middle school age, uh, played football growing up, basketball growing up, and then in high school it was primarily just uh, just football. And uh, I tried out for the baseball team a couple of times and didn't make it. Uh, and then here I am working with nothing but baseball players, which is hilarious. Uh, and uh, went on to play college uh, four years at Whittier College. And throughout that time period, I was really big into uh, helping out in the local community. Um, I coached PE at a, at a few different schools. In uh, in a lot of my research in undergrad was based and geared towards helping the youth athlete out, helping the uh, you know the underprivileged athlete out, which was a part of um, you know how I envision myself kind of going into this field. And then uh, once I got into SC, I, I took those principles and you know tried to apply it into multiple uh, relationships that I developed and. Um, had an opportunity to to go out to a few different countries and see what uh, you know what therapy is like in their uh, in their countries and their communities and um, you know the the little bit of effort that I could put into helping them out you know kind of gave me a bigger appreciation of what we have and then uh, and obviously we settled down in Orange County uh, here in California so uh, you know there's there's nothing but um, opportunities for people to help out nothing but uh, you know uh, access to resources out here, uh, which is really cool because I could still do what I love in helping out, you know, our, 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 uh, our community uh, and have that much more access. And uh, a lot of the guys uh, where I grew up in Corona at Centennial uh, drive out to see me out in, in Irvine and in Newport Beach. So uh, it's pretty cool to, to give them, uh, you know, access to a lot of things. And even though they have access to it locally now in, in, in their community it's fun to show them what we're what we're able to give them and just kind of give them access to where uh you know they they know that they don't have to just stick into one area to to get the resources they need right so if they need to see multiple providers um and you know it's not within reach and there's kind of great clinicians at corona uh but um if if it's not within reach i don't want them to keep their minds shut and that kind of goes on beyond uh, you know, just getting the athlete better, but um, okay, if, if, you know, shadowing uh, a physical therapist isn't, it isn't very uh, accessible, or if a shadowing uh, orthopedic surgeon isn't accessible, or um, shadowing, uh, you know, like a technical lab or engineer, it's not accessible, they, they need to know they can branch out and reach out. So um, just a little bit about that background, that component to it, I mean, that's kind of where, where I'm at now. So that's really cool. It sounds like um, oh, also, I went to Linfield mm -hmm. up in uh, Oregon, and we always played Whittier during our like spring break uh, trips. I yeah. played softball. My husband played football, so yeah. uh, Whittier was a, a competitor. But uh -huh. um, it sounds like you know your background in football. You played outside linebacker. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys correct. won a won a state championship when you're in high school, which is mm -hmm. so fun. And yeah. it seems like though your your background in athletics has kind of spurred this interest in these various specialties like NFL, MLB, mm -hmm. martial arts, like you work with a lot of high level athletes. Mm -hmm. Would you say, so you have a service minded background, but would you say your background in athletics kind of sparked your interest in wanting to work with professional athletes? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, uh, it, that, that, I think that really just stemmed, I thought that 
in high school uh, and even in undergrad that I really just wanted to work with football players. And the more I got into it and going throughout grad school, you realize that, um, you know, you can really broaden that scope because we're doctors of movement, right? They, they uh, call us movement specialists because we have to be able to analyze a movement, whether we're familiar with it or not, and break that movement down so intricately to determine what that person is dealing with, why they're dealing with it, and how, how we can have an influence on it. And, uh, and then when I got into my earlier part of my career, I started working with a tremendous amount of just different athletes because I, I uh, ran a couple practices down in the South Bay for a little while where they were a physical practice. So we had, uh, I think, about 11 surgeons on the team. And we had surfers, we had crossfitters, we had martial artists, which is where I met a lot of my martial artists, um, and uh, basketball players, lacrosse players, all these sports that I was unfamiliar with, ballerinas, I worked with the great ballerina and, uh, you know, uh, uh, dance company down there. Uh, and it was just fun to, you know, to connect with them and let them know that I was there for that. So definitely, you know, definitely sparked my interest in, in working with the general that, I mean, just this population of, uh, of getting to the elite level. Yeah. Um, and I want to give John an opportunity, obviously, mm -hmm. to jump in and ask some questions. Um, but I'm curious, you said, you know, we're movements of, movement specialists and, and doctors of movement. Mm -hmm. What what do you guys have? So you work at Mankind. Like, how do you examine someone's movement, especially something as intricate as baseball or uh, even martial arts, where you have so much complex movement, so many things happening? Mm -hmm. How how do you break that down for people? Do you use any type of tech to break it down, or what is your treatment approach like? Tell, just give us a look yeah. under the, under the hood with some of these athletes. Right. Um, so a look under the hood. I mean, um, working with working with populations that you're relatively uh, relatively novice with, or like you're still in the beginner stage. Uh, there's no doubt that you have to use technology uh, and especially in the route that we're going with physical therapy in the medical field. It's just we're entering into this field where, you know, we have to be able to not only provide that feedback for the individual in front of us, but also for us to be able to break things down. We can catch so much more on the camera uh, and with all these uh, all these companies. Um, making it more accessible for clinicians to have it in their clinic. Uh, it's really been just so helpful. So we started out originally, it was, uh, I believe it started out as Huddle, which was our biomechanical movement analysis. Uh, and then they developed into uh, to OnForm. So it's very, you know, two-dimensional. You can see, okay, have, the, have your person do your squats facing me. Okay, go ahead and do five facing the left, five facing the right. And then by the end of that whole 15 to 20 rep scheme, they might have gotten their squat mechanics down, right? So by the time they're facing the right side on their 15th rep, that might look way better than the first five that they did facing to the facing to the left, just because they're just they're just doing it more, or vice versa, right? By the time they fatigued out, their right side looks a lot different. So um, obviously, what what you guys have and and Motusi just being able to generate this three dimensional, four dimensional piece of us to look from the top and the bottom, you know, whether it's their first rep or the 15th rep is, uh, is, is phenomenal. Right. And then outside of that, um, you know, obviously we have things giving us data and strong data about, uh, strength. And, um, when we learned about it in school, it was manual muscle tests, right? So 
towards the end of school, we realized those were uh, not necessarily manual muscle tests for strength, but you right. know, you're testing out for weakness and now what are you left with, right? right. Um, so uh, a lot of companies are giving us a little bit more access to it. I mean, I, I remember when we looked into dynamometers seven mm -hmm. years ago, we were spending $1,000 on something that just measures grip strength, right? right? And then now you have something, the capability of, uh, of, of having something in your hand, you know, um, and there's so many different ways. I know Medbridge put out uh, an article out there that had six different ways for you to go to Home Depot or Amazon and come up with your own dynamometer at home. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so just a few pieces of technology. Now, four slates, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure, um, same thing, those used to cost so much and you had so much of a monthly mm -hmm. fee and they've gotten into the point where, um, you know, you have access to that for um, a more reasonable, reasonable price as a clinician um, and obviously as a clinic and facility. Yeah. Just for our listeners, just curious if you, you may want to share, you know, what um, we know what you do, you, what you do use from a strength testing perspective, because, um, you know, wanna, we certainly want to make, you know, this time super useful for our for our listeners and to get glimpses sort of like we were talking like under the hood right about you know yeah. what are the little nuances that you do right and so like you know what what do you guys have found over the years that you like to use yeah awesome so um we're most familiar with the active force i know the active force was taken out of uh out of the medical field because it you know it wasn't approved um to the fda and uh and there was a lot of uh things about inaccuracy, but again, something we learned in PT school is intra-rater reliability. So as long as I'm measuring it with that same device in the same position over and over and over again, I can get relatively consistent results, uh, you know, whether it's uh, pre-throwing, post-throwing, and a lot of what we're looking at now is actually designed towards assessing ratios anyway. So, uh, you know, finding out the difference from front to back in that moment, it's, it's our job to assess that and see, okay, well, this is how it looked before. If it's less, don't worry so much because again, there's some inconsistency to that. We're just trying to relate it to what we're finding in the movement patterns. Um, in addition to that, we do have force plates um, at the Chapman baseball compound. So mankind physical therapy in Irvine is embedded into the Chapman baseball compound, um, not associated with the university, but uh, Ryan Chapman is the, is the owner of the facility. And, um, you know, he's just, um, you know, very technologically driven uh, in every sense. And, he doesn't hesitate to purchase something. And, you know, we've talked to, you know, sometimes we give him an idea of, of something that's new in the market. And, you know, within the next couple of days, it's actually right there inside the gym. Um, so over there, um, uh, some other forms that we use for measurement um, outside of the force plates, uh, we use uh, velocity-based training to the be truth. And then we have another, um, uh, another, uh, dynamometer. I'm, I'm forgetting the name right now, but few chains connecting to one, and then we uh, connect it through Bluetooth onto the phone. Um, it's a, it's an orange and black box that we we connect with it. Um, and then outside of that, obviously, uh, we have access to a, a, a great weight room. So there's no way around, uh, you know, the old fashioned iron in, in determining uh, where their strength is. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, yeah. Another thing you talked about. Um, in our little exchange over Instagram that uh -huh. we were all really curious about. Can you tell us what a desensitized athlete yeah. is? 
Yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, when we studied neuro and everything like that, and obviously look at David Butler's uh, Explained Pain book and the homunculus, that's what pops into my mind, right? When you think about where they're at. And um, generally for my for my clients that have been experiencing pain for, uh, you know, merging into that chronic field. So it's not just every single person, when you describe pain, I automatically um, think about it. But when I start thinking about what that homunculus looks like, and I start to get this visual representation of what their homunculus looks like, uh, just purely based off of what, you know, how they're describing their pain and what they're, what they're coming in with and how they're moving, if they're moving and they're compensating in such a funky way, uh, you can tell that, okay, is that, you know, chicken and egg kind of situation? Are you moving like that because you're trying to steer away from pain or are you moving like that and that's what's causing your pain? Um, so that's that's kind of what we talk about. And then we get into the situation where a desensitized athlete, we're, we're thinking about that homunculus and, you know, their coaches and being in the system, you know, even with us and all the sports that we've played, you're just taught to fight through pain. Um, fight through pain to the point of, okay, can you walk? Can you jump? Can you go? Yes. Okay. You're back in there. Uh, because we've got four minutes left in the game. We'll worry about this when we get home. And by the time you get home, um, if, if everything's kind of settled down by then, um, you've either forgotten about your pain or at that point it's, it's, it's worse than it, than it is. So, um, so when I think about that, the desensitized athlete, it's somebody who's just rushed with, you know, endorphins and uh, adrenaline, and they're getting into the situation where they're playing through things that, uh, you know, that aren't quite yet altering their movements, right? They're not quite um, compensating or shying away from from hitting that, that portion of their body um, or changing the way they're moving yet because they're, they haven't sat enough to think about it because of the situation they're in. And that doesn't just apply to in the moment, um, you know, once you've been dealing with some discomfort for, for quite some time or some, you know, some strength deficits or, or mobility deficits for quite some time, the athletes almost push it down to, to present it as something that's not very important or not, not very, um, you know, effective uh, in their performance at that point. So does that kind of make sense? Hopefully I was able to portray that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm curious because the populations you work with can have varied levels of that from football to baseball. Like, you know, there's different stresses that go through the body for those sports, but then you have this MMA side that, mm-hmm. you know, and I, as I was kind of pondering, what is a desensitized athlete? You know, I'm thinking about these athletes that beat up on their bodies all the time and mm-hmm. it's kind of part of the gig. So like, how do you, how do you as a PT approach these athletes? Like, what does your treatment look like? Yeah. And and how do you, what's your secret sauce? <laughs> That's excellent. Uh, it's funny that you bring that up. Um, and, and another portion of the desensitized athlete that I'm talking about is, uh, you know, these athletes coming in and, and letting us know that, oh, it's not that big of an issue, right? You, you realize it's not that big of an issue. I've been dealing with this since I was 13 years old. And you, you take a step back. And, and the good thing that we have on our side now is, is um, one, evidence. Um, and then the other component is objective data. So having something to show them, hey, it's not just, I'm not just telling them you're moving in a funky way or you're compensating in a funky way, but um, there's this overlap. And now we start to get into the conversation of community and, um, you know, uh, multiple providers because um, 
because I'm able to present this data across multiple devices, uh, multiple pieces of equipment, including you know uh, the old-fashioned camera and video, and letting them know, hey, this is consistent, right? If you were weak in the hamstring, but it wasn't presenting itself very much in uh, in the video, wasn't presenting itself very much on the force plates. That's something that we can work on accessory-wise. Um, but they come in and uh, and you show them, hey, these these are are not very big issues right now you're coming in with, but if you keep moving like this, then it will turn into a big issue. And that's the, the fun part about uh, presenting this information to these guys now, which is good. And then you talk to their coaches and you say, hey, this is what I'm finding. What are you finding on the other side of things? Uh, and now the coach is on board with you or any other providers that they're seeing. Uh, and, uh, you know, you start to realize, okay, we can attack this in multiple, multiple areas. That's awesome. Sit. Jason, you know, you've, you've reached a great level in your career, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, you know, to the outside world, it's sexy to work with, you know, with that, with high level athletes. And, um, um, you know, many, many listeners, you know, may ascribe to, to, to that, um, to that level. And I'm, I'm just curious, I, this maybe isn't, uh, so much about the sexy part of what sure. what you get to do every day, but a little bit more about, you know, how how did you get to the point where you're able to start working with with this these types of athletes? And um, you know, tell me about the boring parts about it. You know, about your day. Um, yeah. Like, you know, because like, it, it, and then I have a follow on question to that too. But maybe I'll pause there for a second, and then we'll see where that goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Um, the boring part of the day, uh, you know, which is something that we uh, we think about is, uh, you know, every every PT, every great, uh, you know, every great facility uh, or every uh, every provider that's in the know or that that the athlete trusts is built off of a, a foundation, uh, which is it's you know, I, I whenever I think about the elite level athlete, I think a lot about our DNS principles. Uh, because the DNS principle is literally taking uh, an athlete and taking them through the stages of life, what you need, you should be able to do before you perform such a complex movement pattern. And um, like I mentioned, I, um, I ran a, a couple of practices down in the South Bay where um, it was primarily a physician practice. So a lot of these athletes that I developed relationships with were on the table because they just had surgery. Um, they just had something as simple as a meniscectomy, 15 minute surgery to, uh, you know, as extensive as an entire reconstruction of the knee and ligaments and, um, and everything, you know, everything in between. And they start to realize that, you know, something as simple as knee flexion isn't as, uh, as easy as it used to be. And it's a lot more complex than it, than it is, right? Especially when you're dealing with somebody who's second 90 degrees and they're six weeks out, uh of uh an acl reconstruction because of all these factors that play into it and you have to start digging into your into your box if you wait till that six week period before you start making changes um then that's when it, you know you, you start to start to lose it and then at the same time you have athletes coming in for uh, you know a secondary surgery or somebody that's been to uh, other providers or that has tried something something different than what we were able to provide it's uh you know it comes down to um getting to know them and and explaining the basics and telling them okay hey i know you're at this stage in your rehabilitation and i know that you are 
three months out of your um, rota uh, you know, rota rotated cuff repair or ACL reconstruction, and you should be here. This is what your protocol says, but you haven't mastered these. And this is what I'm going to take you through. This is how we're going to change it. And we're going to master these before we move on. So that's that's a cool thing about uh, you know having protocols and again, technology driven, uh, data science uh, driven therapy. What's up, everyone? We uh, wanted to interrupt this amazing Force Matters podcast from a word from our sponsors. Motusi is a technology company. It has engineered athletic wear with embedded sensors that are unnoticeable as you exercise. The kit is comfortable to wear and it's washable. As you move, your data is securely captured in a lightweight module and sent to your Motusi app. This is for in-lab and clinical settings. There's also an in-lab kit with strap-on sensors that provide most versatility to um, use across multiple patients. All of this technology quickly and easily assesses patients at each session to set up a baseline and track progress. For more information, head to the website at motusi.com, watch our videos, see how it works, follow us on Instagram at motusicorp and see how we're integrating the tech into our day-to-day and changing the field of physical therapy. Now, enjoy the podcast. If I were to ask you, mm -hmm. uh, what, you know, so, you know, to get to where you're at, um, but what's, you know, you, you've, you've had to done something right. Mm -hmm. right? And, uh, and to maintain that level, you've had to keep doing something right. So, um, I'm curious if if someone asked you what your superpower is, what would that be? <laughs> oh man, uh, superpowers! Uh, I wash dishes pretty fast now, and that I have kids, and very quietly because I have kids that I have to keep asleep. But uh, outside of the household task, uh, uh, I, I think I, you know something that I love is uh, you know um, just connecting. I mean, I, I know that every every therapist has their own way of connecting to a client, and I've had. A lot of clients I didn't connect with, and I, you know, I I lost that relationship, and I saw that that didn't go the way I needed it to go, and um, and you look back and reflect on what what did I do differently, you know, what what could I have done better, and there are always different ways that you can approach that relationship, and then um, and I think that uh, you know maintaining connections is a big thing, uh, you know, I'm very very grateful for. Uh, my friends and my family members and uh, um, patients and clients that reach out to me because it just makes me want to reach out to you know, reach back out to them and and reach out to everyone around us. Um, you know, I still have very strong relationships with um, you know friends from high school, um, friends from college, friends from undergrad, and obviously people that I met you know as shortly as a five minute relationship that I developed at CSM, um, and and just reaching out, letting them know, hey, it was great great meeting you, great seeing you, uh, you know, like, I'm, you know, whatever, whatever that relationship turns into, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Um, and I feel like that's what's driven me to be able to work with a lot of these groups, right. Um, and, and one of the relationships was is very, you know, near and dear to the heart, because uh, my wife was um, the daughter of my head coach in high school, which was my football coach, Nat Logan. Uh, no way. And so, you made yeah. it through high school yeah. huh, without made getting your knees broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, That's I, bold. I, yeah, exactly. I, I sweat a lot and, and even more so in high school. So um, now I look back and realize that, you know, I, I was trying to impress so many different people. But, um, you know, he's been an incredible part of my career um, simply by 
the relationships that he's developed over the past 30 years of coaching football and um and you know I, I hold that relationship very strongly still today and um you know and that has just you know expanded into multiple uh, you know multiple relationships uh, and then uh, obviously with my with my business partner now uh, Nathan he's he's a go-getter as if, if you guys couldn't tell already uh, you know in every capacity he's he's on hyperdrive so um, you know a relationship like that where and you know we graduated in 2016 from PT school and we ran separate practices you know he went to residency and I did a, a year-long orthopedic seminar down in uh, Mission Viejo and we would go back and forth and every conversation was different, right? Hey, you know, I heard you're doing excellent at golf. Awesome. Um, and then it turned into a couple, you know, a couple of months later, I'd say, hey, you know, um, what if we go back and forth and we send proposals to each other uh, every every quarter? And I would send him an idea, he'd send back an idea, and then I'd send him another idea. And then uh, we started to get into this conversation around 2018, 2019, where, uh, you know, what, like, how, how are you doing? You know, what, are you still having fun? You know, I'm, I'm itching for a new project. And, um, you know, we started throwing some ideas back and forth. And then obviously in 2021 is when, when this kind of came into uh, development. So another portion of, of how, you know, maintaining relationships with, with everyone you come across is, is, is pretty great. And that includes the person right in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I hear, you know, I, I hear a couple of trends in there, right. And, and, you know, if I were to, sort of, you know, share back what you just told us yeah. in, in less words, I'd, I'd say I, I, I hear, you know, trust is a big part of that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think uh, sort of an authentic, you know, you, you being you in your practice, mm -hmm. right, and allowing that to shine, really, and, uh, and a level of humility, right, like, you, right. Know, you gotta, you gotta just do your job, too. Right, and just get it done um, mm -hmm. for for your patients, and so uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, and your community is really important to you. Uh, it sounds like you have this really big heart for service and staying in touch with people that have really impacted your life. And I think people can genuinely feel that and sense that from you, which probably gives you a lot of referrals. They're probably go <laughs> oh, see this guy; he helped yeah. me a ton. So my next question is kind of philosophical. Mm -hmm. And we ask most of our guests this, but where do you see PT going in the next five to 10 years? And yeah. take that wherever you want. <laughs> um, it's, it's so, I mean, it's so unbelievable to think about where PT is going. Uh, and, and it's hard not to talk about artificial intelligence, right? I mean, in the past four months, I feel like it's, it's way different than what we were talking about last year. And it's funny, I took care of a group uh, from, from UC Santa Barbara, uh, or sorry, not UC Santa Barbara, UC Davis, um, the other UC system uh, over here. And uh, he was a, a, a college kid and he was 19, 20 years old. And you know, he was working with really some really smart people uh, in, in the, the Davis community and and he was talking about how he worked with somebody who helped design some of those CAPTCHAs and those CAPTCHAs are driven for us to teach robots how to assess things as, as simple as, okay, a robot understanding that that's a sidewalk, a robot understanding that that is a person, <laughs> that is a bridge, do not go over that. Uh, and he was, he was saying that, uh, you know, he, he got into the conversation of artificial intel intelligence learns 
movements and, and, and learns at a million times faster than the human human brain can learn that once we teach it how to you know get this foundation it's going to eventually overpower us and then at first glance and uh, obviously we have a, a few listeners listening in and you know people in front of us wondering like okay this guy's crazy so let's let's start to veer off but uh, have you but seen iRobot have you <laughs> seen terminator yeah, like right. any of nobody oh, is thinking man. that you sound crazy right now because if anyone's paid attention yeah. to chat gpt or anything yeah or the guy at google who created ai stepping uh -huh. down because they yeah. need to figure out how to control this thing you're not crazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no exactly and I, i'm glad i'm glad some of these are coming uh you know coming into the public because you realize that you know that it's funny when the the uh the google ceo or or whoever that was stepping Head down of AI. I, yeah. Yeah. oh my gosh when when he stepped down i i, I yeah i definitely buckled up uh, because you start, you can't help but think of iRobot. Uh, because again, if we know how to shut a system down, that the AI technology is going to learn how to reboot that or overpass that, override that, because they're the ones doing that. But uh, anyways, you get into that conversation, and then you start to realize what it can do. Right over here in the current physical therapy world, we're still relying on a lot of things because a lot of the research is good research out there. Right? There's still some articles that refer back to that were from. The 70s from the 80s from the 90s and you know even something like blood flow restriction originating in the 60s and kind of coming into uh, to, to life now on a daily basis with us it's just cool to see some of these you know cyclical patterns come into play but I, I'd, I'd love for some of the clinical practice guidelines that we go through and i know that there there are some excellent uh, clinicians and, and really bright minds working on uh, on systems that already help us understand that, right? So they help us understand this algorithm. Uh, okay, if they present with X, Y, and Z, go into this this chapter. And then once we go into that chapter, again, they present with X, Y, and Z, go ahead and treat it in this fashion. So uh, it'll be it, it'll be interesting to see, and I, I don't, I, I absolutely, um, you know, don't doubt that within the next five or 10 years, that we'll be able to have some type of technology assessing movement patterns, much like you guys are assessing movement patterns. And it's not, it's gonna get more than just data. It'll say, okay, you're presenting with this, that, you know, according to the lit review that we did back in 2023, said that you are at a higher risk for X, Y, and Z. So go ahead and do this manipulation, save yourself some time and go ahead and address this weakness that we're finding. And, you know, it's more than just, uh movement-based assessments that we're looking at and you know hopefully we can kind of combine all these things to where the ai system is working with 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 everything across the board uh, so that way you know the clinicians can just be and obviously at the end of the day we can't be eliminated from our jobs because we look at this and you still have to have somebody guiding that motion you still have to have somebody um you know uh, with with what they the mistakes they've made over the past however many years in their career and um, the successes that they've had and apply that. And that's where, you know, I still have a lot of confidence that we're gonna be around for a while. I love that answer. Um, yeah. I, I do agree. I think PT is gonna need to embrace this tech overhaul because I think it's gonna go a lot faster than we think. Mm -hmm. um, John and I actually just learned the other day from our AI, lead of AI, how to, uh, mark models like we are labeling these data sets so that it can start recognizing patterns 
And it's just weird. I told him I'm putting it on my CV that I'm an AI data labeler. <laughs> I have no idea how to create this stuff, but it's just so it's just stuff that I I never thought I would ever do just because right. it didn't really exist. So I definitely agree with you. I see there's, you know, going to have to be some adoption or integration of tech with what we do, not just to like save our jobs, but to just make us better. Like yeah. I, I really think that we need to embrace it and leverage it so that other people don't do it and take it over, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't need a PT anymore. Just come see us. How, right. about, how about no? Uh, <laughs> I have way too many student loans for that. Um, Same here. But the guy's name is uh, Joffrey Hinton. He's the uh -huh. god godfather of AI at Google. Okay. Anyway. Yes. Yes. Exactly. You know that that name scares me now. So you say yeah. I'm like anyway. Um, so we usually try to keep these podcasts to about thirty minutes. I know we're going to mm -hmm. get you on a part two to have um, yes. hopefully a, a guest of yours that you get to help kind of co-interview with his experience or her experience with PT. I'm really excited for that. But yeah. we do want to we do want to know like personally a little bit more about you. What have you been learning lately? Like what's on your bedside table? What are you reading? You can also take that anywhere. It doesn't have to be PT related, but yeah. just give us some insight into your brain. That's cool. Um, you know, thank you for asking that. Um, you know, like we, we mentioned, getting to know the client earlier, right? Um, and you can tell there's there's parts where uh, you know you had coaches that seemed like they were trying too hard to connect some coaches that just happen naturally um so uh so it's really cool that you kind of go into this but uh so uh obviously my main emphasis right now is is learning and really understanding the overhead athlete uh you know every baseball player we have some great 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 coaches in the chapman baseball compound that um, have taught me so much over the past you know two years that we've been in their facility as as far as uh you know what's changed and um a, a lot of the same foundational principles continue to carry on which is working in my favor because I'm, you know, I'm able to take that and, uh, you know, continue to build off of that. But at the same time, there are always new exercises and new movements and um, new ways to address uh, a lot of these mechanical faults, uh, whether it's in hitting or, or in throwing. So that's, I'd say that's my number one thing right now that I'm, I'm, I'm really taking to heart and, and helping myself understand and, and really study, um, you know, listening to, um, you know, different clinicians talk and, and watching a lot of, uh, of people that are out there, on, on, uh, you know, in, in the world and, and talking to a lot of players outside of just physical therapists. And then bedside, uh, it's funny, I, I have this stack of 16 books. I wish I could just read one book and just be done and move on to the next. But um, I am, you know, my nightly routine, I'll, um, I'll read four or five pages of one book and then move on to another one. But um, I probably have about six different types of parenting books right now. Uh, you know, I have two daughters and uh, it scares me to death. The teenage years scare me to death. So I'm, I'm trying to get ahead of the game there. How old um, are they? They're three years old and 18 months old. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah, my daughter just so turned fun. three. That's so oh, yeah. exciting. Oh my yeah. gosh. So it's fun. We're, we're in a fun time. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure you're going through, through the, all the drama and everything like that right yeah. now. We're just trying so hard. It's funny to think about the teenage years at, <laughs> yeah. as your three-year-old is like probably getting all the two and you're like, oh God, if this is yeah. like a glimpse, like I'm screaming. I know. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Exactly. I promise <laughs> those, those tantrums toned down do yeah. they all right yeah john's got an eight and nine year old eight uh, nine? yeah julia julia just turned 10 last week oh my gosh that's uh, right and so uh 
yeah, I'll, I think that, you know, the, the beautiful golden years is once you get past uh, four and mm-hmm. so far still 10 is still pretty fantastic. You're starting to get some glimpses of yeah. where it could go south again. But uh, right now we're living the dream and they're both pretty rad. Um, oh, man. That's, Jason, that's awesome. Jason, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to the fire on on those things that you just that you just shared. Um, yeah, give, give me give me your top three, either you know resources or coach names or you know things from an overhead athlete that you found helpful, like resources. Yeah. And then Resource, same thing. Yeah. And then same thing. Three of those sixteen books that are on on your bedside table yeah. of, in parenting that you found helpful. That's perfect. Um, so obviously. The, the fun thing about being in the community right now with Nathan Kinstrand and, and uh, MJ and um, and Ryan Chapman over at the Chapman Baseball Compound, that's the most immediate access. I have the most immediate access to them, and they've researched and learned so much. And RJ, our, stre- our head of strength and conditioning, um, so that automatically. Uh, and then you can't go into the overhead athlete world and, and the, the return of sport world without, you know, um, looking back at what Todd Allen Becker put out there and uh, Kevin Welk, what Kevin Welk is continuing to put out there. So I'd say that's probably my top group of, of people that that are my go-tos at the moment. Uh, top three books. Um, my wife and I are currently reading through the Bible and, uh, you know, uh, uh, just day to day, we read four bu- or four pages of it and five pages of it and just, just going back to our pillars of life. And then uh, I have, um, uh, 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 a book, Renee Brown. So daring greatly. So just, just on the bedside table. Yeah, there's no way around. Uh, That's a you good know, one. All that. Yeah. So very fun read. Uh, and then uh, the the parenting books that I have on there. Uh, there's uh, I have uh, like how to raise a toddler uh, 101. It's as simple as that. Um, and navigating through emotions of uh, of that that young toddler, which is on there. Um, so it's 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 you know we're in that phase and then uh we also have um uh it's taking care of babies but her basically her her sleep course on there and that's been pretty good so just just learning how to navigate through tantrums and um and these night terrors so john i'll have to pick your brain about what you've done and then obviously jd i'll have to pick your brain about what you're currently doing because we're all in it together my uh my daughter has and she is a night terror kid too. And it's just, it's rough because the, uh, the, the lack of sleep, like if she skips a nap is usually the trigger for her, but it's like, she doesn't want a nap. So we're in this like weird no man's land. And (laughs) I hate those night terrors. They're really hard for me. Um, Uh but we, we just, honestly, it's a lot of doing what works for us. Like our daughter's really sensitive. She's really, um, (laughs) she's very in tune with a lot and it makes it really hard because loud noises bother her. She doesn't have any type of behavioral or developmental issues. It's just, she's a really in tune and intuitive kid and very verbal anyway. So we're, we're just always patient. And we, I guess the biggest thing that we do is we don't hold her to standards that we can't hold ourselves to and we sit with her, we empathize with her, we give her a safe space. And honestly, it's just a lot of patience. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And we're not experts either. So it's just right. one day at a time for us right now. Uh-huh. But John, so John's funny. the one who's been through it. So 
Well, I'd say I'd say Jason, getting a little yeah. glimpse of of you today through the podcast and 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 understanding uh, um, of an Asian upbringing, um, I would I would say uh, you're probably not going to learn much from those books that you don't already um, <laughs> know or have experienced. And so I'd say uh, just trust your gut, man. Yeah. That's awesome. No, thank you guys. I feel like we have to have a whole separate podcast on how, how you develop through, you know, outside, outside of what the literature says and, you know, what, yeah. like I, I just need to pick your brains and continue to pick your brains about that, but that's good. No, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah there's no manual. No. So no. Hard. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. we, we super appreciate your time. I know these, these Fridays are busy for you because it's a lot of catch up and, um, so we really appreciate the time that you have to share wisdom and insight into how you work and run. Can you give us like your Instagram handle, places that we can find you? Um, tell our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously, uh, you know, you could learn a lot about how I am as a clinician through Mankind Physical Therapy. And it's that's our handle. Um, and then personally, it's just uh, Jason Manalili. So you can find that and kind of understand uh, a little bit of, of, of what we're doing on the outside of the clinic. And how it still revolves around uh, around that. My wife is an occupational therapist, so okay. our, our house is very uh, you know fundamental and developmentally based. So um, so it's good. Yeah. So you'll catch us uh, catch us there. Love that. We'll give and Jason then give a us follow. a little. And then give us yeah, definitely give Jason a follow. And then give us a little preview of uh, what what to expect during the next time. Both both of you guys actually. Yeah. Um, so it'll be nice. I was just talking about JD about, uh, you know, hopefully inviting one of my guys on and, um, you know, I have a lot of trust in a lot of my guys and what they've been through and they've seen a lot of different people uh, across multiple states and, you know, even, even multiple countries. So, uh, you know, hopefully we're able to get one of them on, um, you know, that, that ranges from current to, to retired NFL players or um, martial artists that, you know, from, you know, spanning across all different forms of martial art. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll kind of come down to list and figure out, you know, who the, who the listeners would want to, to have on board. And then obviously you guys, uh, you guys have uh, that option to, to try to figure that out too. Yeah. And I think really a huge goal is to just give insight into what our patients really find helpful in PT. I think, mm -hmm. you know, it might be a little bit of a love fest because Jason, I can tell that your patients really trust and, rely on your expertise so understanding from a pt's perspective what you do that really connects and drives excellent patient care is going to come through in that so i'm really looking forward to yes the love fest of like seeing a patient who really admires your work but also like that's going to be really good for new pts or current pts to learn oh wow i should probably try that or maybe i can integrate that into my care. So I think, again, our whole goal or one of our goals is to give PTs their time back. So if they can listen and get some wisdom, I think that's a win-win. That's beautiful. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you guys. I, I appreciate it. It's funny that you guys are picking my brain, but you know, I look up to you guys and you too. So um, it's, it's going to be good to continue learning more from you guys and, and seeing what you guys have out there. So it's going to well, be good. <laughs> well, you're too kind. Uh, we just want to blow up the PD, PT industry just as much as you do. So this is really fun. Seriously honored that you are here and recording with us. So stay tuned for part two, everyone. Heck yeah. Thanks, Jason. All right. Uh, take it easy, you guys.
You've been listening to the Force Matters Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in and really want to hear from you. Visit us at our website at motusi.com. Our new Instagram handle is at Force Matters Podcast. DM us there, participate in our Force Matters mailbag segments, and just keep following along. Until our next one, keep moving. Keep moving.